0: The FT. Welcome to the FT Big Read, a weekly podcast featuring the best of our long form reporting from around the world. I'm Anna Dedder from the Comment and Analysis Desk. Once held up as a beacon of revolutionary socialism, Venezuela has descended into a state rife with corruption and violence and triple digit inflation. Andres Capani says that 17 years after the revolution, the nation is preparing for elections in which the socialist government is set to lose its majority. But is the opposition ready to take over? According to polls, 67% of Venezuelans say President Nicolás Maduro should not finish his term. The mantra Andre hears around the country is Maduro is not Chávez. Additional reporting is by Jean-Paul Rathbone. Inside a small house in La Sequia one of the gritty shanty towns that drape the hills around Caracas, Carlos is preparing for a day's work, loading up ammunition, piling up grenades, stacking flag jackets and black balaclavas. The 28-year-old says, We have a kidnapping now, so we must get ready. Adding, he works with an 80-member gang with a portfolio of interests, from kidnapping and drug running to killing. He claims it also has a powerful ally, the Venezuelan government. Carlos, who asks for his real name not to be published, then says, Sometimes government people send us to murder. We work in partnership. It's screwed up. His pointing to assault rifles, he claims, came from the Bolivarian National Guard. He concludes, I don't like to see my country like this, but it's the way things have turned out. We have become a nation of malandros, or thugs. Venezuela's descent into hoodlum state from beacon of revolutionary socialism a picture of Hugo Chavez, who died in 2013, hangs above Carlos's head, has been spectacular. Three decades ago, Venezuela boasted some of Latin America's highest living standards. Today, after 17 years of revolution, most people cannot find toilet paper in shops, even though the country has larger oil reserves than Saudi Arabia. Corruption is rife and violence is out of control. 25,000 murders last year made Venezuela one of the deadliest countries in the world. But this weekend Venezuelans will elect the 167 members of the National Assembly. And for the first time in 17 years, the vote will probably end the socialist government's majority. It promises to be a decisive moment. President Nicolás Maduro has pledged to do whatever it takes to ensure victory including bypassing the assembly and governing with a military civic alliance in the name of the people, although there is no evidence that the people support him. Some polls suggest the opposition will win Sunday's election by as much as two to one. Sixty-seven percent of Venezuelans say Mr. Maduro should not finish his term. The sense of disenchantment is apparent even among once fervent supporters of the revolution. Carlos says, I believed in Chavez. I don't believe in Maduro. Maduro is not Chavez. That last phrase is being repeated around the country like a mantra. That souring is reflected in Venezuela's decrepit economy. Shortages are rife and health services are collapsing. Triple-digit inflation, estimates put it at 185%, is destroying social gains. Minimum monthly wages of 9,649 bolivars are worth only $10 at the black market exchange rate, less than in Cuba, Venezuela's closest ally. This year, the economy is forecast by the IMF to shrink by 10%, following a 4% drop in 2014. Next year, it is forecast to shrink by 6%. Allegations of corruption and drug trafficking reach the highest levels. Last month, two nephews of Celia Flores, Mr. Maduro's wife, were in a New York court to face charges of conspiring to smuggle cocaine into the US. The government's usual response is to blame the stooges of imperialism who want to sell the country. Lilian Tintori, the wife of imprisoned politician Leopoldo López, who has become one of the best-recognized faces of the opposition, says that this is the time for change. There's a permanent violation of civil and human rights, intolerance and aggression. The opposition's factions have buried their difference to unite as Mesa de la Unidad Democrática, a political umbrella. It did the same in 2013, when Enrique Capriles narrowly lost the presidential election to Mr. Maduro. The campaign message is again abstract and free of concrete proposals, aside from an amnesty for political prisoners. The government's unpopularity is benefiting the opposition by default, even in former Chavista strongholds. Jacqueline Jimenez lives in Petare, one of Latin America's largest slums. The 30-year-old mother of three always used to vote for Venezuela's ruling socialist party, or PSUV. Not anymore. Her husband, a bricklayer, was shot and killed two weeks ago on his way to work. All because he had no money on him. She laments. This revolution was supposed to take care of us. Instead, it is killing us, impoverishing us, I will vote for the opposition because this government is useless, is dangerous. Increasingly, the rest of the world sees Venezuela this way. The country comes last on the World Justice Project's Rule of Law Index, below Afghanistan. Senior figures such as Diosdado Cabello, the head of the National Assembly and the second most powerful man in Venezuela, face US allegations of drug trafficking. Mr. Cabello has denied such charges. On his television program saying that the allegations are part of a campaign against socialist venezuela such invective no longer has the impact it once did locally however neither does it wash in much of south america even former allies such as argentina are withdrawing their support as a so-called pink tide of leftist leaders that once governed much of the region loses power amid the commodity price crash mauricio macri Argentina's president-elect recently argued that Venezuela should be expelled from Mercosur, the regional trade group, because of rights violations. Even so, redressing the situation in Venezuela will be hard. The election run-up has seen even greater violence. Last week, opposition politician Luis Manuel Diaz was shot dead at a rally. Miss Tintori, who was standing next to him, was splashed with blood. She told the Financial Times, They want to kill me. Mr. Maduro's response that night on state television was typical. He blamed the opposition for inciting violence and for paying Venezuelans $50,000 to pretend to be gun-carrying government supporters. He said the incident would be investigated, although what that means in a country that Human Rights Watch says suffers from a near-total lack of judicial independence is moot. For Javier Corrales, a Venezuelan scholar at Amherst College, there's a massive anti incumbent feeling. But he also cautions it would be wrong to assume such sentiments will translate into electoral results. So he adds that this government has no interest in relinquishing power. The reasons for that are clear. Although the presidency is not at stake, an opposition majority in assembly would wield considerable power. It could control spending, grant amnesty to political prisoners, investigate corruption, and withhold permission for the president to travel abroad. A two-thirds or even three-fifth majority, would give it greater power still, including the ability to appoint judges. For Mr. Corrales, the government fears the possibility of being held accountable. It is so complicit in crimes of all kinds. Alejandro Moreno, a priest and social scientist who researches violence from his bullet pierce home in Petare, agrees. We don't have a criminal state. We have crime that has turned into a state, says the 81-year-old, adding that while the Chavistas remain in power, this won't stop. The country's institutions have been gutted and corruption has soared amid a lack of checks and balances. A former Chavez minister says, the design of the political economy here only benefits the corrupt. That is especially true of the military, which is stuffed with loyal generals, who in turn make up a quarter of the cabinet. Like other government insiders, they enjoy access to foreign exchange at preferential rates. Venezuela's vice president, Jorge Arreaza, has said smugglers siphoned 3.6 billion worth of gasoline last year. Analysts believe the military participated in the contraband racket. Luis Cedeño of the Observatory on Organized Crime, an NGO, says there's a corrupt parallel state within the government. Military men oversee smuggling and drug trafficking. The state has delegated functions to criminal gangs. The cost of this corruption and violence is huge. Asdrúbal Oliveros and Jessica Grisanti, two local economists, estimate it costs more than 12% of economic output a year. Transparency International ranks Venezuela near the bottom of its 2014 Corruption Perceptions Index, tied with Guinea-Bissau, Angola, Haiti, and in Yemen. As for other institutions, the government controls the Supreme Court, state oil company PDVSA, the central bank, and also the Electoral Council which Paul suggests 70% of Venezuelans do not trust. It also has near-absolute control of the media, can use public money to fund its campaign, and is widely believed to coerce government employees to vote for socialist candidates. This combination makes up what officials perhaps mean when they talk of a perfect machinery that will take us to the perfect victory on Sunday. On top of that, there is intimidation. During a recent rally in Petare, Congressman Miguel Pizarro of the Moot Coalition says shots were fired at his campaign caravan when supporters were confronted by men wearing balaclavas and the logo of the ruling PSUV. He says, As the government loses support, it doesn't have any other option than to appeal to thugs with machine guns. But while they may have all the machine guns, we have something more powerful, the strength and clamor of people who are tired. Juan Contreras A socialist congressman seeking re-election in Caracas 23 de enero slum is an exception, a politician who still defends the government. He's even optimistic about Sunday's result. He calls criticism of the government attacks to weaken the revolutionary process by right-wing foes backed by Washington and says soaring crime rates are brought up as a strategy to destabilize the government. He claims the same of the economy. Our people perfectly understand there is an economic war coming from the parasitic right wing bourgeoisie. After 17 years of resisting, they now try to make our people surrender through hunger. I feel we have no reason to be worried about the election. Any perception that the government has stolen the election, or if it fails to recognize an opposition victory, could see the moored coalition take to the streets, as happened in 2014 when months of demonstrations calling for Mr. Maduro's resignation cost dozens of lives. International election observers have been barred, and the government has allowed only UNASUR, a regional group, to accompany the vote. Brazil's electoral authority has pulled its participation from the mission in a blow to Venezuela's crumbling legitimacy. Domestically, much of that legitimacy has evaporated, certainly for people like Maite Hernández. An impoverished housewife, she and her family, were thrown out of a Caracas apartment that Chavez's government had given her. She says thugs, much like Carlos's gang, claimed they had orders to take it back. Then they shot her 23-year-old son and left him to die. I hope things change for my poor family and my poor Venezuela. They have to. If not, I fear where it all may end.